You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. My name is Rob Sell. I'm a developer at this.labs, and I'll be your host today. I'm joined this time, as I often am, by my co-host, Jake Dom, who's a developer at GoodWork. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about animations. Um, and joining us to discuss this is uh, Matthias Nemo, who is uh, a developer at Google, um, and who I forgot to get the rest of his title before we started. So I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself when we get started. Um, and also uh, happy to be joined by uh, Lizzie Linhart, who is a lecturer of web development at, at FH Salzburg. So thank you for joining us, you two, for this exciting topic. Uh, just to get started, uh, we're talking about animations. And I guess I'm just sort of curious for each of you maybe to get us started, maybe giving us just a brief introduction on what it is about animations that excites you the most. Because one thing that I noticed when I was getting ready for this is that each of you has really gorgeous personal websites. Um, and Lizzie, I saw on your Twitter, you were like, I got up early today and I just made this absolutely gorgeous speech recognition animation project uh, you know, today to, to share with people. So I'm just kind of curious what it is about animations that makes you guys so passionate uh, to build this kind of stuff and to share this kind of stuff with others. Yeah, the, the demo I built was really fun. And I think it's, allows you to be really creative in a way that you often can't be with other things. And at the same time, animation can be really useful. So it's not only being creative, but you can also use it for a lot of good things in interfaces to, to make interfaces make more sense to the user or to explain something in a more simple way than it would be explained in reading like a intro or something. Awesome. And Matthias, how about you? So I think that animations uh, add another dimensional narrative to a website, meaning like, OK, there's information. People follow along. But if you have animation, it kind of guides you from one segment to another in a nice way. And it's kind of subtle. You don't really realize it's guiding you through the experience. But I've always enjoyed that about a really, really nice animated page. Awesome. And you know, sort of sticking on that topic, because I think that's what's interesting, are these different types of animations. So I remember working with a designer that was really preaching uh, the value of what he called micro interactions. I don't know if that's a if that's a common term, but like really these sort of focused animations to bring people's attention. But I know like obviously people do more large scale, more dramatic animations, maybe for design sites or for for things for which that's uh, more useful. Like I guess, are there any guidelines for where, you know, w when you're sort of deciding what level of animation or how grandiose to go with animations? Like, are there things that people should be thinking of or things that you guys advise people of when, when you guys are working on that? So the way that I see it is, I'm sure that there are guidelines. Uh, I'm sure each company has a sort of, if you will, like a, an extended style guide for these kinds of things. And then you have the material design spec, which has its own recommendations for how to do animations. But more or less, the way that I've always approached it is just tweaking it until it feels like it works. 
So not just fading and everything and sliding everything into the page, but more or less just making things that look and feel natural. And uh, my members just had a sort of ballpark approach to that where I just keep tweaking it until it works. Awesome. But like, so just to dig into that a little bit deeper, like I know on your site, again, I know it's a personal site and it's, it's there for a little bit of flair, but I know you have kind of like a moving background going. And I'm kind of, I guess one of the things that I'm really fascinated with about animations is, is like how to know when enough is enough. Um, you know, what I think is really interesting with animations is um, when done really well, like you guys say, it really, uh, you almost don't notice them to some degree, right? Like a really well done animations just make the UI uh, act as though it's it's doing exactly what you expected it to do to the point where it almost disappears. And I'm just kind of curious if there is where there might be places that people aren't thinking about for 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 grander uh, animations like that. Like, are there places for you know if people are making an e-commerce site or if people are making um, you know, a, a crud oper operation or something like that? Like, are there places for fancier animations too? Or is that only meant for the artsy sites or the design sites or the theoretical sites? I think there is a big difference between doing like this small invisible animations that are really good for the user. And then the animations that like reinforce your branding or like explain something like demonstrate the concept. So. You have to distinguish whether you want to leverage like the cognitive load of the user or if you want to really show something, explain something like your brand or whatever it is, or like a tutorial. Okay, awesome. And, you know, when we're looking at animations and kind of how people implement animations, um, I was actually getting surprised to see the, the amount of different ways that people can define animations between the CSS transitions or the CSS animations. Um, there's the web animation API, which is slowly or whatever, continuing to gain some amount of traction. Um, and then even like, like the frameworks, right? Like Angular and Vue, each of you is familiar with, with uh, the Angular and Vue sort of integrations for that. With all these different ways to implement animations, are there trade-offs between each of these approaches? Is it whatever you're most familiar with? Or like how do people decide what is the best way to implement some of these things? So I would say that each uh, different technology you can use, whether it be CSS transitions or keyframes, web animations, using a third-party library like GreenSock, or going really crazy with things like SPG and Canvas, um, it really comes down to how familiar with the developer is with these approaches. Each of them have their own limitations. Like, for example, with the CSS approaches, you can't make a sort of interactive timeline that you can like jump to at any point. However, if you were to build every animation like that, you'd have to have this JavaScript layer that would be able to understand the state of the application and then react to it with an animation. So uh, this area is more organic. There's new technologies popping up every so often. And it's really up to the developer to choose what they want. OK. Cool. And as far as like the, the Angular approach, like the work that Angular has integrated with, with animations, does does it is it capable of doing all these things? Like, is it a, a heavier approach, or like where does it fit on that scale? Is it, like when you guys are developing it, or when it's being developed, is it is it about fitting all those different workflows, or is it aimed at more of the advanced stuff? Like, what is its role kind of among those other solutions? So historically, with Angular, there's 
there's really been three distinct phases with this. Uh, back when AngularJS was uh, mainstream, we had a module called ng-animate, which kind of relied on CSS heavily. And we had this idea of having classes that get added to an element and then it would pick up the transition code or the keyframe code and animate it. It's very, very ad hoc, very, very, you know, plug and play, worked very well. There were some issues with, you know, detecting things. And uh, what we found is, okay, we need to have more control. Then we went down this uh, DSL route where we had our own little animation language and it would tap into states. And that allowed for very complex animations to be run, but still was a little bit too complicated to get something, to get like an average developer to understand it. Uh, now in the direction where it's heading is uh, um, we're trying to make things a lot easier and have Angular do things a lot more for you, not in a sort of magical way, but to give an example, if you're adding a CSS class and you want to animate it, that could be different from animating a style. So if you're animating the width and the height, whether it's using transitions or keyframes behind the scenes, it should be Angular that figures this out. So in a few months' time, we're going to introduce a, a add-on to the styling capabilities of Angular, where you can just style anything, whether it be if a class or a style or even deeper styles such as transforms, and you can just say animate, and it figures it all out for you. So the goal of the framework should always be to abstract away all the complex stuff and to handhold the developer as best possible and give them really good defaults and guide them into making really good interactions. And this is the trajectory that we're going to be going with Angular in the near future. Awesome. And Lizzie, do you have any like thoughts on sort of the differences between the different approaches to animations? Anything extra to add about like when people are looking at it, like whether they should bother using the web animations API, whether it's uh, supported enough for, to, for use or whether people should wait? Like how do people decide you know, what are your thoughts on how people should decide kind of which technology or which approach to use when they're they're setting out? So I think there's different different things that are important. So whether you're familiar with the framework, the framework are really good in making animation less complicated and abstracting away different concepts like the flip concept, for example, which is in if you use the transition group in view, that's basically the flip concept, but you don't know you're using it. So I think the experience you have with animation should guide you in what you're choosing. So if you have a lot of experience, you probably could do it natively. But if you don't have that much experience, especially concerning performance, maybe you're better off with using what the framework offers you. That's awesome. And I don't know, like you kind of touched on it a little bit there. I, you know, are you able to explain a little bit more about kind of what Vue does, or maybe Jake even, I guess, talk about a little bit what, what Vue does as far as supporting animations, their approach to doing it? So I think it's kind of interesting, actually, what they choose to do. Jake, did you want to jump in, I guess? I am by no means an expert, so I think I'm going to leave it up to someone else on that. I've played around with it, and I've used their transition component a fair amount, and I really like the way it gives you... Uh, the ability to work with CSS animations or to tap into uh, events directly with JavaScript. Um, but other than that, that's kind of the limit of my knowledge for the most part. So I also played around with it a little bit. I haven't used it like to a very advanced level, but I think it makes it really easy to create, for example, page transitions by making it more declarative. 
if you like mount the component and unmount the component. It's very easy to create create a transition between pages. That's a lot harder to do with just HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. So it's a lot less code and very declarative in how you generate those animations. And that's really yeah. good for, for users, I think. Yeah. So one one cool thing that it does is it takes your uh, either hooks of JavaScript that you know if you want to win if something's hidden with VF and you know conditionally rendered and you want to hide it um, and you but you wrap that in a transition component and then say uh, maybe on like the before mount uh, or the after unmount or whatever those hooks are called um, if you run some code in there whether it is a JavaScript hook that needs to run or a CSS class that needs to apply a, maybe you fade out the opacity of the element as it's leaving, it'll actually delay the unmount for you automatically so that uh, you don't have to kind of manage the states of when it wants to unmount, but it can't because the transition needs to finish. Um, so that's where it kind of comes in and works super well with page transitions. When you're switching between routes, um, it will know automatically that you're trying to move from one to the other and apply your transitions and make sure that nothing is unmounted mid um, CSS or JavaScript animation. So it's pretty cool. It kind of gives you a lot out of the box um, for you to be able to do basic transitions on uh, page route changes, uh, hiding and showing you know, tabs or an accordion or something like that. So, so one of the things that's interesting, right, animations, I think like the canonical first animation that everybody always talks about is like sliding out, like a, like a slide out navigation one. And that one's usually straightforward for people. But I know when I've seen people's um, samples of like the really cool animations that they do, it can be really convoluted. There's a lot of keyframes or a lot of CSS variables operating. And I'm kind of curious for people that are looking at that, is it is it just a gap in understanding? Like, is it like anything? The more you understand it, or are there tools that people can use that help automate or make some of these animation uh, creation things uh, more intuitive or more uh, you know visual or interactive for them? So um, I feel like this should be baked into the frameworks, like. Uh, this is the direction we want to go with Angular. We want things, not necessarily an animation tool that helps you build them, but really, really good primitives. So it doesn't feel like you have to keep adding code and adding code and adding code. One of the problems with CSS is because it's static, you can't you can't dynamically have it adapt to the state of the application. You have to add more code to fine tune what you're trying to build. And uh, because a framework such as Angular is you know, on the JavaScript level, it can do a lot for us. So before I would advise people to kind of find a tool and do animation stuff, I would almost want to look at the frameworks first and say, what can they do better? Cool. And along those lines, like, is that if, you know, if, if we got to a sufficient a point where you, you, know, you could snap your fingers and make Angular or whatever other framework, a magical framework of your choosing, implement that kind of stuff, like, what might those APIs look like that people would want to take advantage of? Like, would it be you know, move something to a particular area, or would it be like automating the flip thing where you kind of give it an initial state and a final state and you let it interpolate what it needs to get to that point or both of those things? Like, have you, have you given thought to what, what those APIs might look like? I would imagine it would be a little bit more higher level. Uh, oh, okay. So if you're doing things in the HTML code, which I'd imagine that most developers are 
probably most comfortable with. You, know, you look at HTML, it's pretty easy to follow. You could, you could leverage web components. You could have really helpful attributes and class names to kind of guide the sequence of animations that are going on. If it's in the JavaScript territory, you'd almost want to have a series of reusable functions. So if you imagine something like underscore JS, uh, that's really helpful because it's just a huge amount of functional uh, programming-oriented you know, bits and pieces that you can use in your application. I'd imagine some, having something similar like that with animations that you could compose together and have them snap in place would be very helpful. Finally, if you have something like CSS, it would be helpful if you had reusable animation libraries such as Animate CSS, or if you could leverage SAS in a lot of ways to help do this. So in, in essence, I think it's more that the tools across the board need to be approved. Because I found that, oh, OK, I know CSS and HTML very well. But I still struggle with putting an animation together. Now, if you have a beginner who wants to animate a really nice page, it could take them a week just to get the animation that they want. And that's just not, overall, it's just not good enough. Lizzie, how about, you, how about your thoughts? Are, are there any interesting tools that people that you, you recommend either to students or to other people that you speak to about building animations that are more complicated than just sliding out a menu? Um, or, or you know, do you agree with uh, what Matthias was saying? <clears throat> I think uh, readability is really important when you create your animations. So that's why I like GSAP, for example, which is quite a big animation library, but it's very readable and very easy to understand what's going on once you get a little bit into it. And that's also the problem with very big CSS animations. They get unreadable if you have lots of sequencing. So I think if you choose a library, it should be readable for creating animations with little code and not like huge lines of complicated keyframes that you don't really understand. So um, GSEP is one tool that's nice. Um, there's a lot of libraries. There's a link with a collection of all libraries I can share later. Um, and it has all kinds of different libraries you choose but it really depends on if you whether you're doing small animations or if you're animating SVG or if you're trying to do a scrolling animation. So which library and which tool you choose depends on what you're trying to do. So you should choose the tool matching to that. Great. Well, I know so after you've built an animation, or at least have something prototyped and working, I think something that probably anybody that's played around with animations realizes really quickly is that suddenly your application might start to feel very sluggish um, because you might be animating the wrong properties or doing things unnecessarily um, along those lines. So I know that there are a certain set of operations that you can do, transforms and translates and rotates and scales that are more performant in the browser and others that are sort of less so, right? And so. I guess my question is for people that maybe understand that and they're like, okay, well, I have this limited set of operators that I can animate on, you know, quote unquote performantly, but I really need this thing to change colors too. Like when they really just cannot understand how to make something work without using a property that maybe they're not supposed to use, you know, how should people reason about that? How should they go about it? Like, is it ever okay to animate the, the bad properties or are there strategies to work around that? So it's a bit tricky because it's like when you look at CSS, you imagine, oh, okay, there's so many ways to do the same thing. And to some extent, that is true. 
But if you were to compare sort of the performant bits, uh, performant properties that work well with animations and the ones that don't, it really comes down to repaint and reflow. If you take something, for example, such as a transform, transforms are known to be efficient means of moving things across the page, and you can animate them well. Why? Well, they don't cause a reflow for the whole page. Things like absolute positioning, padding, height, width, uh, margins, all these things cause reflows. And the reason why it's a little bit tricky is because from the user, from the developer's perspective, it makes sense. I want to move this over by a few pixels. Okay, perfect. I want the boxes around it to also move, but the browser has to then adjust all the other elements and put them into the right spots. Then when you add animation to it, it becomes much more sluggish because it has to do that over a multitude of times throughout the animation duration. But it's not as simple as saying, oh, I'm going to use transforms right now, because transforms have a different positional system compared to absolute positioning. You can't say of a transform, OK, go to the right-hand side of a container and then move over. And if there's two pages or if, the, if you know we want to move one on top of the other, it becomes much more tricky. But as you'll probably, as you've probably picked up with what I've been talking about most of this podcast, I do believe the framework should handle this behind the scenes. It would be absolutely beautiful if you could tell a framework, hey, animate this element over this element, and then fade it out and fade it in, without having to understand, oh, OK, there's transforms needed. We need to have relative positioning for the container. We need to fade this out. Then we need to set display block. No, like the framework really should understand all of this. It's probably worth mentioning for anyone who really is interested in animations and wants to work with them. Um, like you were just talking about, Matthias, uh, the way to have performant animations and really performant CSS in general is to understand how CSS works. So to dive deeper than just throwing some flex classes on some things for layout and uh, you know, uh, kind of shotgunning your animations. If you dive into how CSS works, the uh, stages it goes through when you change things with transforms or animations, how it paints the page and the process it has to go through. It'll really help you with your animations. Um, as you guys know, I'm obviously not speaking to you as probably the least experienced animator here. But uh, yeah, if you dive into the different steps that the browser has to go through every time you change something or when it initially renders out the page, it'll really help you make sure you're writing performant code. Uh, one resource I also use for teaching is the rendering performance article on the Google Fundamentals that just explains rendering performance in the browser. It's really useful and not that long to read. Lizzie, are you able to explain uh, to people a little bit about the concept of layers um, and how maybe that might help people with some performance issues? Like, There's certain things that that tackles versus it's not effective for for, for using? Yeah, so when you move an element on the page via animation, you you want to move it independently from the other elements, which, which is why you shouldn't animate layout properties. And so if you promote an element on a new layer, and the layer is similar to how layers look like in Photoshop, you can move it independently from the other objects and this is good and can increase performance but if you create a lot of layers it eats a lot of memory so you should limit your layers and then remove the layers if you don't need them anymore so if 
your element is done animating. So I guess like, you know, somebody's thought hearing that is, oh, great. Well, if I want to animate left and I want to animate padding, I want to animate color, I'll just put it on a layer and it'll just solve that. Like, can it, can it solve issues relating to some of the properties, but not other properties, or is it just sort of like, no, it is pretty magical that way. If you can get something on its own layer, maybe you can be a little messier about how you move it around and it's and it's okay. Does anybody know the answer to that one? I think it's hard to say. It really depends on the property you're animating, but I think you just need to test it. So if, if it has a positive influence and use the dev tools to test the performance and see if it's okay or if it's not okay. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, as with anything in development, right? I mean, try it out, measure it. If it works, it works. And if it doesn't work, try something else. Um, one of the other things, I mean, we kind of mentioned it, Liz, you mentioned it earlier, the, the sort of the flip concept. And I know that some people have said, you know, that's a way to get around maybe some less performant or more complicated animations that are trickier to do with the subset of performant operators. Um, can either of you sort of introduce that concept generally? And is there anything about the frameworks, and I mean, maybe Matthias, you're saying, you know, eventually that should be under the guise of the frameworks, but is there anything that uh, currently exists that can help people do that? Because I think when I've seen this concept, it might be easy to grasp, but slightly, or not slightly, seem seemingly much more complicated to figure out how to actually implement it. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong, maybe there's an easier way to think of it. So, um, in, in one way or another, frameworks kind of already do this, right? If they have their own sort of animation state system, they obviously know the starting and ending states, and then they fill in all the dots in between. So uh, while I think that this concept is a little bit more, lends itself better to someone who's dealing directly with CSS or directly with their own artifacts and they're trying to animate them, uh, when you have a framework, you know, the framework um, is, has its own opinions on how to do this stuff, and it can always change itself behind the scenes. Uh, so it's, it really more makes sense for someone who's dealing with web application development on a more granular level. Okay. Awesome. I have a question about uh, building these into the frameworks. It seems like something uh, animations are something pretty universal. Uh, is there particular reasons why you guys think that the animation should be built into the framework rather than maybe directly into the browser giving better higher level APIs or a set of web components or something like that that work across. It seems like fairly universal um, things that can be done, but maybe the way uh, different frameworks do rendering prevent you from making that universal. But yeah, I'd love to hear about that. It's a really good question. Um, so the short answer to that is that frameworks manage their own uh, state. They manage their own DOM, they manage their own components. Mm -hmm. Depending on the framework and how it handles things, you might have virtual uh, architectures of uh, how, the, how the page loads itself, like virtual DOM, or there might be some sort of logical tree, and then there's like a DOM tree. And this is really hard stuff to get it to work really well and to be performant. And then to add animations on top of that also requires a lot of thought. The, way, the reason why I imagine a lot of these frameworks have their own facilitations of animations is because the browser APIs are pretty primitive and uh, like tiny. And to, to work with them wouldn't necessarily be an add-on job. You kind of have to bake it into the framework for it to behave performantly. 
One of the things we're doing with Angular right now is we're making it so that all the animation bits are lazy loadable. And what that means is when the application boots up, it doesn't have to animate anything. It just shows up. So it doesn't have to download the entire framework and all the animation bits and everything. It can just download the minimum code that it needs to load the page. And then as you start interacting with the page, then a few seconds later, it downloads the animation drivers. And then slowly, when you navigate from one page to the other, you can start. You can kind of see the animation starting to wake up. And for that to work as an add-on feature without it being baked into the guts of the framework is really, really difficult. But we're trying to make a lot of the animation code to be sort of swappable. So you don't have to use the state system. You don't have to use CSS. You can just tap into some sub-region of the, of the page and say, OK, we're going to animate this differently. But the framework has to understand the foundation of it all for it all to work. Awesome. Great answer. Thank you. That helps a lot. Cool. So one uh, another question I had for people that um, you know, they might want to add animations, but I know like I talked to a lot of developers who are like love building, but they like almost feel like when it comes to design, they just they immediately reach for like material because they don't want to have to think about it. And they would and, and that's not a pejorative about material, but just some people they just they they feel challenged. They don't have that uh, design-minded thinking, right? But they would use these animations if they knew that they existed. So I guess my question is, is you know, where do you guys go for inspiration, ideas of cool new ways to 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 animate things, or where do you look or point people to um, for like showcases of best practices for animation on you know different types of sites? Uh, Lizzie, why don't you start out? Do you have any suggestions? So I love just looking at animations on Copan because there's always new things happening and then there's an animation community of people who always have new demos. Um, but then in user interfaces, there's a lot of common things like buttons or links or other interface elements. And I think CodeWraps has a lot of good demos you could look at and just like copy and adapt, which would be in, like a good starting point just to copy some animation code and play around with it and, and see how, how it works together. And Matthias, did you have any, uh, any additional suggestions or places that you go or what, what things inspire, inspire you uh, with the animations that you create? Uh, so some websites that just consistently have really good experiences, one of them being Airbnb. I really, really love the way that they have done their website and the way that it has the interactions between the different states when you jump through the website. Um, another one which I really enjoy using is Google Flights. I really like how when you start searching for things, it animates different parts in. Back to Airbnb, they have something called Lottie Files, which allows you to have the Adobe After Effects artifacts and dump them into a web page. So the Lottie Files uh, directory, the repository, has a lot of really funky looking artistic animations. The way that I see it, it, it's I feel like there's two different ways to approach this. Um, one is for the user interactivity, just as Lizzie mentioned earlier, and then the other one is for branding and sort of like the thematic aspects of a web page. And I feel like you can't get it all in one part from another, but I feel like if you just browse the web enough, you'll find really good examples. Oh, and one more thing I found is, I think one really interesting place to look at like good animation examples is like if you have a Blu-ray and then you just look at the menu of a movie, 
almost always they look like they, they have like these really funky little interactivity bits when you like, oh, okay, go look at the deleted scenes, go look at the documentary bits of it all. But the actual interaction and the menus that they have are really artistically amazing. Little hidden animation nugget there for everybody. That's cool. Uh, so one thing that we haven't talked about and we always have to keep in mind when building on the web is accessibility. And uh, I think there are some definitely some things to keep in mind when you're uh, building animations for the web, especially um, with people who have trouble uh, with movement on web pages and things like that. Are there ways to, uh, what should developers know about how to be careful with animations and make sure that their websites are still accessible and uh, safe for everyone? So uh, a few things is, with it, when it comes to accessibility of a screen reader who is interpreting the state of the DOM and kind of giving you a summary of what's happening, so if you have a lot of animation code that's producing divs and producing a lot of extra stuff into the web page, that could become difficult for accessibility to you know function as it should. Uh, I would imagine that if there's a way that you can kind of craft your website so that if, if a screen reader is dealing with it, the animations are disabled. Or you have different kinds of tools that abstract that don't necessarily clobber the DOM with extra artifacts. And then finally, obviously, add in the necessary HTML tags to make your site accessible and stick to CSS as much as you can. Uh, maybe, Lizzie, you could speak to this. I think there's a media query property called prefers reduced motion or something like that. Uh, should most or all of your transitions and animations be restricted by that or the big ones that do a lot of moving or flashing or things like that? What should uh, that be used for? So in terms of accessibility, parallax effects are really bad and really big movements. And the reduced motions, um, media query is really useful. So what you could do is set a CSS variable with the timings and then change that in the reduced motion query or just disable all animations in the reduced motions query. So it's very easy to disable all animations within this query. What um, you can also do in the web animations API is make use of that. So you can cancel your animations in, with the web animations API if they prefer reduced motions, but that via JavaScript. Neat guess uh, one thing we could do is once it's built into frameworks, the frameworks could respect that media query property out of the box. So uh, another point there for framework animations. <laughs> Although I, I do think that the media query wasn't fully supported by all browsers. I think it started okay. out with WebKit. Um, you could do the inspection necessary to read it from the JavaScript world. But uh, okay. I, I do hope that they started having more of this stuff fought out into the CSS. Uh, layer of the mm -hmm. website. OK. Um, you know, bouncing slightly back, because I was curious one more when people, you know, we talk about inspirations for different types of animations. And my question is, is, you know, for people that, OK, they go out and they find these inspirations, they find a website that animates in a really interesting way, or they see one of those code pens where somebody has done like a fully, you know, almost like an action figure thing, all the limbs are moving in this really interesting animated way. 
do you guys have advice for what the best way is for someone to uh, to get their head around an animation like that, right? Because it can be a lot of div elements or a lot of CSS or a lot of keyframes or maybe even a lot of JavaScript. Is, is the best way to break it and try to get it to work again? Is it just to read it from top to bottom and over and over until it makes sense? Is it to maybe just copy out a little couple pieces and just see how two pieces of the animation move? Is it a mix of that? Like, how do people learn and uh, continue to grow and become more complex animators? Well, Lizzie, maybe you want to start on that one? I think, I mean, copying and adapting is always good, but animations can become really complex, especially if you're doing it with big libraries, like, I don't know, 3GS or other things. And then you should probably first look at what libraries are used and start to build minimal examples with that library. Or if it's native, try to understand how how the CSS and the JavaScript work together. Because a lot of the animations will be done with JavaScript. And it's, if it's just CSS, you probably need to start with learning CSS animations and CSS transitions and then go from there. Cool. Matthias, did you have any advice or you know things that approaches that you take when you when somebody does something really cool and you want to figure out how they did it, like how you start to break it apart and kind of and get your head around it? Uh, yeah, more or less, just take a look at the state of the DOM and you know, see what's happening. Is it happening in CSS? Is it happening with web animations? Is it happening in the canvas regions? Then figure out if there's a library being used, and then slowly start to reverse engineer how they did it. But as I mentioned in the beginning, there's so many different ways to animate things, and there's no one-size-fits-all solution. So it, it's always just uh, another you know, detective-level you know, learning effort to figure out how this stuff works. One helpful tool for uh, both looking at animations that you find on other websites and profiling your own animations for performance or uh, whatever reason what is the Chrome DevTools has a built-in animation panel, which I found to be pretty good. I know you guys could probably speak to that a little bit more, but uh, you can kind of inspect an animation and uh, it will give you a timeline of how it plays out. So you can drag it back and see at a certain point if it's breaking down, you can actually go to a specific keyframe or it timelines it out so you can pick the beginning and the end and kind of see how it did performance-wise, and look out the layouts, look at the layouts and repaints that had to happen for it. So that's a cool and helpful tool if you find an animation on someone's website and kind of want to see uh, if it's a little too fast to know exactly what it's doing. You can slow it down using the Chrome Dev Tools. Maybe there are some other tools too, or you guys have more uh, thoughts on how you can use the, the animation uh, tab in the Chrome Dev Tools, or even other Dev Tools or tools like that. So the, the animation tab is definitely useful. It's nice because it kind of records things and it gives you a little snapshot of what happened. The tricky bits are if you have a tool that uses web animations or CSS in many different elements in many different ways, that's when you have like a complete you know, flood of recorded animation snapshots. And that's when it gets kind of tricky to figure out what's going on. The other thing that's a little bit hard is because it's a browser, it doesn't have insights into what your application looks like. It doesn't understand that, oh, OK, you have this framework, and then you have the framework producing these kinds of animation segments. So you can kind of look at it, but you can't necessarily start tweaking things and having that code jump back into the source code of your application. 
Okay, cool. Lizzie, did you have any other uh, thoughts on, um, on on profiling or or how people should um, test or debug or understand the way that their animations are working on their sites, other than the tools that they mentioned already? I think um, making animations feel right is a is a big part also of doing animation, and often it's really just prototyping and and trying out if the animation works, if the easings work, if the timing is right. So. It's a lot of just testing and animation, and that depends on the tool you're using or the framework you're using. Okay, cool. Well, you know, as we near get nearer to the end of the the podcast, you know, one thing that I think is an op I mean, I'm sort of making this observation now as we've been talking, but I was thinking back to like the early days of the web, right? And whether it was Marquee or whether it was Blink whether it was all the animated GIFs and the flying mailboxes that, that people put on their websites, right? Like the early web was so dynamic um, in a lot of ways. And then somewhere along the way, it almost seems like animation stopped being cool. And everybody kind of thinks that it's, uh, that's just, the, that's, that's, that's like frills stuff for designers. That's not really building a website. And so to some degree, I'm kind of curious, like how, you know, why animation isn't as interesting as maybe, we used to think it was. And Lizzie, to some degree, I'm really interested in your perspective because as a lecturer of students, I'm kind of curious what their perspectives are on it. If they if they get really excited hearing about these kind of things, adding these kind of things to to this, uh, the sites that they might be working on or their projects, um, you know, versus maybe some other people in the community. Yeah, so I think it's good the web is not that way anymore because it's more <laughs> accessible and standards are more important. And that's also what we teach at university to to look at standards to make their websites accessible because it's very important. But then people are still building a lot of really, really cool things with like WebGL or Canvas or just like SVG animation. So that's still happening, but it's happening, I think, in a more conscious way. And now there's a lot more things you need to take care of when you build a web page. So you have to look at your markup, you have to look at accessibility, and, and then often animation is not as important as maybe other more central topics. But it doesn't mean you don't, you shouldn't do it. So I encourage my students also to just try things out like SVG animations independent from maybe the project they're building, just to build, to build an animation and, and play with CSS, play with JavaScript to be creative with it. Great. And how about how about you, Matthias? Do you do you miss Marquee and, and Blink, or or do you do you, do you think that uh, uh, that's that's an era that we're we're well rid rid of? Well, you can always make a web component called Marquee, and <laughs> but uh, the thing that what I think really happened was uh, if you remember a tool called Smile, I think, which is like a old school way of animating, you know big blocks of a HTML page. Um, that was kind of a unique idea at the time. It's kind of you know died off at this point. But I feel like overall, the animation tools themselves have, been, have kind of remained a bit too primitive, while all these other te web technologies have started to you know, surface. You know, ES5, or ES6, and um, all of the HTML5 stuff that kind of you know, came up in the past 10 years. Uh, they've really made web pages a lot more advanced, and even CSS has grown a ton. But animations themselves have remained very primitive. If you remember a website called Dynamic Drive, or 
There's a DHTML, Dover DHTML. <laughs> These web pages had some really fancy, nice, beautiful demos, but they were just complicated animation sequences that someone put together, and they weren't necessarily that useful in a web page. So I, I think that because the web was you know young at some point, and then we had all these technologies kind of hit browsers, and people started experimenting and like, oh, cool, look at my, my personal homepage it has these kinds of things. But you know, as we just talked about, the web matured, and websites are a lot more, you know, they, they require a lot more machinery right now for them to work properly. And I feel like animations has just been put to the side while all the other stuff has evolved. Awesome. Okay. Well, you know. In conclusion, sort of give everybody an opportunity to sort of uh, point people in the direction of either uh, interesting things in the world of animation or any sort of final recommendations you might have. I think for me personally, what I would say is um, you don't have to do the fancy animations. Never uh, underestimate the power of even just some simple uh, slide-ins or fade-ins. Um, you know, so many of us are building single page applications and you have things like tabs or you have wizards or things that go in steps. And I know I'm working on an app with someone right now and we just had this very sterile wizard that people would go through and just making the steps slide in and out and having a progress bar that sort of filled up as you went from step to step. I mean, it went from looking completely amateurish to looking like a million dollar website. So just, and those are relatively straightforward animations that you can get copies of from other people on CodePen or that are shared publicly and really aren't that complicated to do. So never, uh, if you don't feel like you're a wizard at CSS, just never underestimate the power of using some of these simple CSS transitions in your app and, and watch as, you know, the raises flow in because people can't, can't believe what you managed to build. So. Um, how about Lizzie, did you have any final thoughts on either that or anything else that you wanted to bring people's attention to about animations or, or things that are going on? Yeah, so user engagement is really a really big part of animation. So it makes your site more fun. It makes it more fun to use. And if you build it well, it's, it's really useful to the user. Um, in terms of resources and places to go to, there's a really big community around animation. It's a Slack channel called Animation at Work. And there's also a YouTube channel called Keyframers or a Twitch channel, and they do just live coding animations, especially UI animations that are really useful, just in understanding why and how they're doing animation. And on the other hand, just looking at code pens, adapting them, and those things. And there's also a book by Rachel Neighbors called Animation at Work, and she also founded the channel. So that's also very good to read. Great. Matthias, have you any uh, final thoughts or things that you wanted to bring people's attention to or that you really wanted the other frameworks to take note of? Or <laughs> so um, recently, I've just been very baked into the guts of Angular, developing this new version that we're launching called Ivy um, towards the, uh, like, within this Ang Angular 8 and 9 gap that we have going on right now. So I haven't really been involved too much outside of that. There are a lot of things I'm working on. One of the things I kind of figured out finally and got it to work properly is like a full-blown CSS transitions uh, like a plugin tool that allows you to basically have multiple transitions running all at the same time with different timings for classes and styles. And it's able to facilitate all that happening and you don't get the glitch, you don't get like the, the weird jumps and the, the, the weird overrides. And this took me, took, took years of ex, ex, 
experimenting with CSS and JavaScript to get it to work. So that's going to be a part of Angular. And I'm most likely going to introduce a, just an open source tool that allows you to fully orchestrate CSS transitions and keyframes in a very effective way. And also, uh, another thing that we figured out finally was how to animate transform properties, individual transform properties, using uh, CSS transitions. Or not transitions, but using animations through JavaScript in a way that you can animate them independently of another. That's going to be an Angular, and that will also be a separate tool. Awesome. So some, some sneak previews there, something to look forward for people to play with. So. Mm -hmm. Well, well, thank you both so much for, for joining us. And, and you know, thank you, everybody else, for, uh, for listening to this podcast on animations. Um, thank our guest again, Matthias, who you can find on Twitter, at Year of Moo, so uh, Year of M-O-O. And uh, Lizzie, you can find on Twitter, at Lizzie underscore Linhart. So that's L-I-S-I underscore L-I-N-H-A-R-T. Uh, also, like to thank my co-host, Jake, who you can find on Twitter, at Jake Domes. It's J-A-K-E-D-O-H-M. And uh, my name is Rob Osell. You can find me on Twitter at Rob Osell. So that's R-O-B-O-C-E-L-L. -L. So that'll do it for us today. As, as we always say, the conversation continues, though. So feel free to reach out to our guests or to us for other interesting ideas that you have about animations or, you know, interesting ideas you have for to improve the frameworks and, you know, trouble spots that you have with animations that you want to see built into the frameworks. And we'll get Matthias right on that. Um, but thank you, everybody, for joining us. And we hope you have a great day. This podcast is sponsored by NativeScript. Want to use your web skills to build iOS and Android apps? Try NativeScript. NativeScript is an open source framework for building native mobile apps using technologies you already know, like JavaScript, Angular, or Vue. Learn more at nativescript.org slash modern web. This podcast is sponsored by This.Labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. <laughs>